You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Liron Gilmore, a multidisciplinary artist. Since Liron's work is highly visual, you might like to explore some of her artworks as we listen. You can find images on her website, laronngilmore.com or Instagram. There's links to these in the show notes. In this episode, we explore the use of fibre and textiles in art making, including the techniques of machine sewing, the value of practical tests and the use of mock-ups, and the importance of a finely crafted finish. In her art practice, Liron seeks to explore the connections that humans have with nature and with each other, and the possibilities of transformation Laron shares insights into her practical techniques and creative approaches in her art practice, including metaphor and symbolism and work with found objects such as fallen branches and leaves. We explore some of her sources of inspiration in the form of shapes, colours and patterns in moth and butterfly wings, as well as more conceptual ideas around natural phenomena such as tropism, that is, the turning of plants in the direction of light. Laron shares her thoughts on challenges and obstacles to creativity and expression, the overthinking mind and the inner critic, and ways to address these by spending time in nature and using techniques such as mindfulness and meditation. Finally, we explore profound concepts related to perfection and control and how these contrast with a more comfortable, free-flowing and natural celebration of the organic, irregular and unexpected. Here's my conversation with Laron Gilmore. So nice to see you again, Laron. You too. It's been a while. It has you look been the a same, while. which is good, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> well, I guess so. Isn't it? I, I thought I was looking been a bit older, but it hasn't been that but long, you relative don't. speaking. Well, I have a, a kind of, you know, well, I'm not sure where I was headed with that. Um, I thought we could start off by finding out a bit more about what you do, where you, what you studied, uh, what you're interested in. So uh, I don't know how far back in time we need to go but what are you what are you about yeah at what point how, how what point should I start I feel that my journey is not a straight line no <laughs> I know that not everyone's is but some are more more than others non-linear and so it's it's non-linear yeah well so, we met when you had just finished you were working as a designer for a large yeah. organization a, a kind of um fashion, yes. fashion house I guess mm-hmm. and then you did some extra study uh, yes. In film, so I yes. don't know. If we could start there, and then if we if there. we need to go back in time, we can we can um, ping pong back and forth. I suppose I'm all ears. So yeah, if we we could start with the studies. Yes, we met um, doing media arts and production at UTS. It wasn't the first time I'd been at UTS. Actually, I did another degree previous to that um, a few years back 
a number of years back, maybe five years before, um, called Visual Communications, which is sort of like graphic design, but it's a bit broader. It sort of encompasses a, you know, anything from print to fashion, not fashion design, but maybe like graphics for fashion, um, some photography, animation. It's pretty broad in terms of the visual realm. And yes, I was working, when I graduated from there, I was working at Esprit, which was a, um, yeah, the big clothing, uh, you know, international brand and as their in-house designer. And um, I worked there for a year and, um, yeah, it was, I mean, look, the people were like lovely and it was obviously on paper a really great job to get leaving university, university and graduating. Uh, but, it, you know, have, after I sort of hung in there for a year, and I realised this isn't a really good fit for me. It was, um, yeah, I guess it was probably the artist in me rebelling, but maybe at the time I hadn't quite figured that out yet. I just knew, oh, this sort of nine to five, sitting strapped to this desk. That's what I felt. I felt that I was strapped, strapped to it. <laughs> that was the feeling. <laughs> no but it's, it's part of, I know, right? And I just wasn't used to um, having to kind of produce, you know, on demand at a high rate to such tight deadlines and I suppose that's the um, reality of advertising and and I don't know maybe a more corporate sort of world that I wasn't um, not only I guess maybe at the time I thought I wasn't cut out for it because when I quit the job I felt that maybe I had failed somehow that perhaps I should have been able to like handle it or, or be all like it or you know I mean they were happy with my performance it was all kind of coming from me um, but yes it sort of took me time to come to terms with that and understand why I needed to quit but of course my parents were like you know no one understood why I wanted to quit from that job but I did and then of course I'm not the kind of person that just can float and not know what I'm doing so even before I quit I thought maybe I could just go back and do more study and really, I didn't know what I was doing, except that I knew that I didn't want to work in that kind of corporate setting. So I went back and did, I, when I was a teenager, I actually, this is going back in, in time, I actually played bass guitar for a number of years. So I always had an interest in music as well. And I thought maybe, you know, sound design or something in that realm could be something I could, you know, see myself doing. I really wasn't sure. I did some research and I ended up at Sydney Uni doing these like night classes, which was a real nice break after being in a more restrictive kind of um, highly structured timetable. Suddenly I had all this sort of movement and, and I did that for um, a couple of terms and then I um, did I, I was introduced to soundtrack for film and then I think at that point I was like this is really interesting it got me really excited and then I trans and then I decided maybe audio purely you know audio in and of itself is really I mean I was a you know I'm a visual person maybe I need to sort of marry the two that's when I met you and that's when we ended up at media arts and production studying film production so that was coming off the back of all of that so you and, had like uh, a draw, like a creative drive, but then I guess you, you, your expectation of the employment, I suppose, you didn't expect mm. that that was all part of it. This sort of, I guess, there's an ir ir irony involved, or I don't know if it's an irony, yeah. but a, a mismatch or something. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, um, I mean, everything's always more clear when you look back after you've sort of lived through it, I suppose. But when you're that young, I mean, I think I would have been 24 when I, or 25 maybe, 
at that point when I met you. So I don't know, was it a quarter life crisis or something? <laughs> I don't, it was like everyone else was Possibly. just, you know, it was too, maybe it was too young to be having one, but of course I was. And I was like, what am I doing? And felt that I, yeah, like I told you, like I shouldn't have, you know, quit the job and everything, but I threw myself into the studies when I met you and was mm. really excited about film and film production and film theory and um, the potential for that. And I think that, as what I said, was looking it about? back, that territory, what, like you kind of felt that, yes, this is great. So what was it that was resonating with you? Well, of course, again, I was watching, you know, films like French New Wave cinema and films from the 70s and a lot of sort of artistic, um, expressive films that really are very non-commercial and, you know, when I even when I watch them these days, I'm thinking how how do they ever get funded? You know, because we know that filmmaking is an industry that where you need a lot of money to get. I mean, depending on how you go about making films, but in terms of commercially successful films, um, so I think it was that amazing freedom that I that of expression that I saw in those particular films and filmmakers, and probably because the 70s as well and the 60s was a time of experimentation and discovery across all of the arts that was probably coming across in those films. And I just really enjoyed learning about the auteurs, which... Um, What's are, an auteur? Uh, yeah, so it's uh, for those that don't know. <laughs> well, well, I feel like I'm in class and teaching <laughs> class. <laughs> You're but, a guest um, speaker. Yeah, so I guess when you think about um, like a painter like Picasso or something or a, a writer like Stephen King, um, they've got a distinct, unique style and point of view or they'll often, you know, we'll call it a worldview, a, a lens on the world and that comes through their style and their themes. And uh, so... so, not, what, what so do you mean to say that not all painters and writers are auteurs? It's just Not a necessarily. Type. So what is it about, Yeah. you know... What's the defining? Well, it's like if you go, I went to see a Tarantino film or I went to see a Coen Brothers film or it was a Wes Anderson film. You know, the people that I suppose what, I mean, maybe not everyone knows who those directors are, but probably, or Alfred Hitchcock, a Hitchcock film. There's, oh, people sort of nod and like, oh, yes. So there's a certain distinct style or tone or um, that you can identify across all their films and that makes uh, like a body of work. So that, that makes sense. That was something that you would really kind of um, piqued your interest. You kind of were really into that. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess it was like artist as filmmaker. Yeah. So then and, what um, happened? You kind of did, you know, the, the kind yes. of. Yes. Was it, was it uh, what do you call it? I mean, I've got two questions maybe. It's like w- were you always interested in creative pursuits when you were younger, mm. but then also how did the whole um, study postgraduate mm. study go like did you go mm. off on a different path you know mm. and- these are all uh, important questions I just think that um yeah it's tough to understand I don't think that being an artist was something that I felt was a viable possibility for me you know like it's not something that I thought was an option it was not something I ever considered and I don't know if that has to do with my upbringing it probably does to an extent because we're from you know migrant family and it's pretty cliched but you know generally migrant families want their children to get jobs and you know earn a living and feel like things are secure and um 
the idea of being an artist is not, you know, the opposite of that to most people. So, yeah, well, there's so yeah, many variables, so, so many unknowns. It's not reliable. Yeah. It's kind of you've got to keep on your toes. It's sort of it's not conventional. There's all these kind of no. there's there's no ticks in the list. Of, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and um, you know, so there's that possibility. I guess I'm going back to the bass guitar because that was, I guess, year eight, 14 years old. So that was an early expression of me. And at the time, I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to be in a band and I'm going to go to study in Berkeley School of Music in America, and that's what I'm going to do. And you know, as a 14 year old, I thought that was what I was going to do. And um, obviously, that didn't end up happening. But I obviously had a tendency towards thinking that the life I was going to have was gonna, wasn't going to necessarily be conventional. I remember thinking at school, I'm not going to sit in an office, nine to five doesn't feel like that's me. So I sort of knew that. Um, I also think that with art, if you're not necessarily like a gifted drawer, like you, you know, like I feel like with parents early on, if the child shows that, oh, they can draw beautifully in a conventional way ac- with accuracy, then they may be pushed in the direction of art because they might be like, oh, well, they're very talented. It's very clear that they're very talented, but not all artists end up, you know, work. I mean, if you think of conceptual artists or installation artists or all kinds of artists, they may not be, you know, drawing. But so I think it may be harder to get into art if you're not showing those sorts of things early on. Potentially, that's another thing I've sort of considered. Um, But I don't know if that answers that that question. But then moving back to the postgraduate studies, um, I think I I was really enjoying the studies and I didn't really have a very clear direction. I knew I didn't want to go back to corporate work. Um, And that, again, is where I suppose a lot of filmmaking, um, uh, what's the word, where your expertise can, you know, you can fall doing kind of commercial uh, advertisement or, um, corporate videos and, you know, there's a whole, all of that too. And so you got to pay the uh, bills. Ha- yeah. You got to pay the bills. So is, was, was I just going, how am I going to be an artist without fully uh, owning it yet? I think I probably was. So I was sort of delaying being back in the real world, did the masters uh, with you at the time, which was really great. Yeah, was fun. And, um, and at that time I, th- I was, I thought I was going to be a filmmaker somehow um, but again, uh, the the act of like putting together a film that I wanted to make, which was very more um, artistic and less commercial, it, I don't think I realised, I didn't quite understand where that fit in the whole spectrum of films because films were also like blockbuster films that didn't align with that. And so in the world of funding and it all just seemed kind of pretty overwhelming and I just still didn't know where I fit. And um, that's when I started teaching a little bit after that, after I graduated. So and, what were you um, teaching? I know what you were teaching, but people listening don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was t- teaching um, digital media to begin with. So my um, graphic design background started kicking back into gear in a slightly different way. So I was teaching Photoshop and a bit of, um, you know, Adobe Illustrator and, you know, um, design and art, a bit of design and art history and some theory around colour theory. And so I really enjoyed that. I couldn't believe that I was getting paid to talk about something that I really enjoyed. So what's um, a, you, because you enjoyed the process of teaching? Yes. I, yeah, I did. I And sharing. I think it was sharing the knowledge and um, the feedback that you get from 
the students that I don't think I knew how that could feel energizing until I did it. I didn't, you know, um, and also teaching was a way to like take focus off myself because you're focusing on other people. So there's something there, you know, oh, I don't need to think about me, me, me. How am I going to do this? Or how am I going to achieve this? Suddenly you're, how can I help others to achieve what they want to? Or So there's something that I found really freeing about that. And um, I mean, obviously we know that it's no secret that, you know, giving to others and being of service to others often equates to uh, greater levels of happiness. So they were my early experiences. And then I started teaching like film production and film theory and things like that. And that's when we were working together as well. We did. Yeah, we've got a bit of an extended history, don't we? We do. Weaving in and out. And so then I guess you kind of um, progressed on. You didn't kind of you know, stick with just teaching and, you know, what, what did you do after that? Well, while I was teaching, I thought, okay, this is going to give me some stability. It's not corporate. It's making, it's pretty, it's pretty good that I get paid to talk about things that I enjoy and feel excited and inspired by. So um, I, I, you know, I did that and then tried to, at the same time, make these sort of art films or these little experimental films, which were the films that I wanted to make without the pressure of, anything really um and i uh, met another uh, girl who was a cinematographer called sissy reyes um who were also, also was studying with us at uts but i never really uh got to meet her at the time and we clicked and we started making these films together um and so we made a few of those which was really interesting um process to work with someone else and i think that we complemented each other she was um very practical and hands-on and kind of um, complemented my more sort of, I don't know, conceptual, I, I don't know. We just were a good, we were a good match. So, what so sort we of, made a few films. Yeah, what sort of themes or, you know, feelings or concepts yep. did you explore? Well, I think the one film that I th- really connects with the rest of my work was called Tropism. And I know, Mark, you uh, has a back, very background in science back in the day. So you may want to jump in and explain this in more detail if I get it wrong. But um, the reason why I called it that was that for those that don't know, it's a scientific term which explains why plants and trees move towards the light in order to grow. So that's when you put a plant sometimes, you know, and it bends and it grows in this sort of bended fashion it, because it's moving towards the light. And I really like that metaphor. And um, I think just before though, I go into a whole lot of detail here, we need to bring in my meditation practice. Is this a good point to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've just got my eye on the clock though, but um, you know, I think it would be good to hear about that before we well, move on. Okay, so I finished, I'm finishing, we talked about me finishing at my studies, my postgraduate studies, and then teaching. Somewhere in between there, I had a bit of a breakthrough and I started meditating. And I feel like my life was very different after that. And everything that I made and did creatively was very different after that. So okay, I that sort of see my. It's significant? Yeah. What is so that? So I sort of see my creative selves divided into pre, pre-meditating and post-meditating. The nature of my work was very different. So, um, what, are you, what are you really talking about? What's that? What's that mm-hmm. word mean? Or what does it mean for you? 
Well, um, it means, well, I guess it wasn't just meditating, which is sitting with the breath and, and observing the breath for a designated period of time in the day. Um, and then if your thoughts come in, any thoughts that come in to observe them and then just try to release them and then focus back onto the breath. So it's a kind of mindful meditation. Um, when that happened, I sort of started reading a whole bunch of books about, um, about the practice, about mindfulness, about being in the present moment, about moving away from the um, overthinking mind and the intellectual space, which I was very much in. I think that especially if you sort of at university a lot, um, and you haven't been exposed maybe to, to other ways of being, maybe that's sort of what happens. So I wasn't very grounded in my body, I think. So, you know, when people talk about going to yoga and it sort of grounds them, this med the meditative practice sort of grounded me and I think made me, yeah, just more aware of the way I was thinking and, yeah, it really opened up a whole new sort of way of of um, life, of connecting with life. And I think that was a big thing about the connection. So that really changed my approach to how I worked and um, the kinds of things I made and everything. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So with the meditation, you mentioned that you that it was before and after. So how did it change? Mm -hmm. Yep. With so my after meditating and, and um, you know, taking up a, a, a daily meditation practice, uh, that sort of changed my way of kind of being in the world. I know it sounds overly dramatic, but it sort of did. Uh, gradually it did. Um and, yeah, it did change my approach to the kind of work I made. I wanted to... Sounds frightfully grounded, uh, that statement. <laughs> I know, right? I wanted to... Well, up until that point, I found the creative process exciting but kind of um, very difficult because I had a very harsh inner critic and that would pop up all the time and really sabotage... Um, I think my freedom of expression and who knows how that we don't need to go into how that came up. Everyone's got, you know, critics to a degree. Um, and I just knew that something had to give, I had to find a different way of working. And so the meditation brought in more self-compassion and yeah. I was so you, aware. of. So you mean like with an inner critic, you, you'd kind of do something creative and then it's sort of, mm -hmm. you know, it was actually working, but then you might have a little, thought oh no that looks terrible and, oh yeah you know Ter yeah cast it aside or something yep but then the meditation actually helped or assisted or at least gave you a different outlook yes because um i realized that see i think i was operating too much on the intellect rather than being more intuitive and allowing myself to let go and just sort of see where it takes me which is where you really want to be at, at least in some stages of the creative process you don't want to have the critic come in early on and stamp out like some grumpy person that that thing's no good and that what's the point and you Doesn't know imagine you met productive. someone like that <laughs> a pretty horrible person um so i think it was a very deliberate process and just deciding to trust that more intuitive part of myself which i think was um i was cultivating through meditation i was able to do that and a big part of it was also connecting with nature which again sounds sort of 
cliched in a way. Um, but just sounds you know, like the inner the critic thing. talking. They just then probably. <laughs> <laughs> so what sort of na- na- I know, right? What sort of natural interactions were you having? Well, I guess at the time I was living in the city, so walking in Centennial Park and walking and looking at the trees and um, maybe seeing the ocean as well. But more the tree, the trees really felt like I was getting grounded by the walks and the trees. So, um, yes, so I started being attracted to gathering these branches off just fallen branches from trees. And I didn't really know why, but because I was in this very open deliberately kind of open uh, state of mind, I started just gathering them, gathering a lot of branches and to a point where at one point my whole balcony was filled with these eucalyptus branches. And um, I didn't really know what I was doing with them or what was going to happen with these branches. So it was all very like, I'm just going to trust the process. Let's just see what happens. And it was only maybe two years after that, that anything really came of those branches in the sense that I think I was in a show, a group show, an art show, uh, and it was um, a fibre art show. So it was artists who were working with um, fibre art, so like um, weaving or um, using yarn and things like that. And I um, had seen somewhere that someone had wrapped a branch really quite primitively like it wasn't sophisticated with yarn and I thought oh that's you know that's a bit nice maybe I should try doing that with one of these branches and so I did start doing that and then you know I think looking at very my early tests they're they're pretty they're pretty bad but they're kind of cute to see where I've progressed since then so um, I made a large piece larger piece for that show uh, using a bunch of branches and um what I did was I referenced the pattern of um, winged insects, so like butterflies and moths. And that was the beginning of this whole range of work that I did with these sculptural pieces using branches that, as I said, referenced um, moths and butterflies. What do you mean referenced? referenced? Okay. So I was sort of um, looked at, found um, particular butterflies or moths that I found um, visually interesting or striking and I you mean like the shapes and the colors and that sort of thing yeah yeah the shapes and the colors and the patterns and I used them as a kind of not even more than an inspiration I yeah I developed a technique where I was kind of able to really capture the essence of them in the in the work and um, what I found was I think beyond just the fact that these were graphically interesting images, like these amazing, you know, like winged canvases, like how how does that even happen? It's kind of amazing. Was the idea behind how they evolved these amazing, um, you know, costumes or whatever we want to call them, uh, because in in an attempt to protect themselves and uh, to survive, so it's a survival thing. And so, oh, you mean I like a I camouflage, seeing, camouflage type yes. techniques, that sort of thing. Yeah. So like camouflaging behaviors. So either, you know, being mimicking the background of the environment so that the, you know, body of the insect looks like a leaf. But then the ones that I found more interesting were the ones that actually had very um, quite contrasting patterns that jumped out at you. And I remember reading some, some biological book study on, on these um, camouflaging behaviors. And I think the, the term was conspicuously concealed. Wow, that's a bit of a. I know, right? I'm like, how yeah, is that yeah. something? Yeah, so, so they're so know, like, they're so out there, like a big circle or something on the wing, so that mm. or some, that type of thing. You mean? 
Yes. I guess, like, if they have big circles, they would re- resemble faces. Mm. So, if predators try to come and, you know, attack them, they would attack their body, not their head, because the face, yeah, yeah. Is, you know, looks appears spooked. to be on the wing. They get scared Yeah, all away. colours. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah, like those um, iridescent kind of shimmering sort of, you know, might be kind of distracting or something. And then Yes, they, it does they- cause distractions. They flap to create... Um, you know, some kind of confusion and distraction from their predator. And often I found what was also interesting was that the underwings were often the part that was really beautiful and colourful and at the top um, was the the bit that was camouflaged. So to protect themselves, they had the kind of boring or, you know, less flashy and then they had the beautiful colours underneath. So there was a whole lot of metaphor there that really appealed to me. And I guess um, extended on my, you know, connecting with nature and um, going on these walks to gather the branches sort of felt like I was collecting, I don't know, bones or I don't know, like I was on some archaeological dig. I remember describing it like somehow gathering these sort of specimens. Um, Sort of engaging and interacting and like kind of, I can't think of the word, like you kind of, you considered you've got a considered process or something like you mm. kind of, it's like a dialogue almost with nature or, you know, you're sort of, yes. it's, it's impacting you and you're kind of selecting something and then it's sort of, it's like mm-hmm. a relationship or something by the sounds yes. of it. Yeah. And um, sort of excited to see what's the next one going to be because they're all slightly different shapes. And uh, I think more on a, um, a sort of, I don't know, philosophical perspective that these were actually part of a larger tree. And these are the trees that were, that are probably, well, I think we, there's kind of a lot of information out there that trees actually make people feel better. Like the being in, there are studies that show that we actually, they calm us. So uh, whether this was an accident or not, was I just attracted to gathering these branches or was it having a calming effect on me? And then the wrapping of the branch itself, so you, you mentioned the yarn, yeah. The, how did you use that yarn and what, what sort of technique yes. did you use? Um, well, I was trying to, as I said, you look at these um, patterns on the insects and uh, sort of capture them somehow, capture the, the patterns. So it could have been that I wrapped block, like a, a solid colour of yarn around a branch, but then I had to also invent ways that kind of ended up being kind of abstractions of, of what these winged insects look like. But how do I make a circle out of yarn on a branch? How do I create a, the illusion of this line? And so I was kind of working out, I guess, a little visual language um, over time um, in the work to try to recreate some of these uh, designs. So was it like a bit of a trial and error type process? Oh, yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it got more complex because I was like, okay, I've done that now. How can I... How can I make this a little bit more, you know, complicated for myself? So I think it was um, also that constantly trying to evolve the work. But um, what I do remember was that um, there was something very grounding about the process of wrapping and meditative because it is repetitive and it's using your hands and, um, you know, you're sort of there, I'm there in my studio sort of with music or quiet. And so it just felt like I needed to do that and working with computers and in front of the screen for so many years, it was really different. And I sort of feel like I knew that I needed that 
like there's, I mean, people talk about working with their hands all the time and working in the garden or cooking or whatever. Um, you know, there's something, I don't know, healing or I'll use the word grounding again, seeing as now I can see that maybe that word's an important word for me because I've used it a number of times, haven't I? Um, so that that was, yeah, and I think that using the branches in the sculptural pieces, I was trying to capture the energy of the stillness that you get when you are in immersed in nature or surrounded by trees. And I thought that maybe these branches still carried with them some of that energy because they were, after all, once part of this larger tree, which, um, you know, is all powerful. And, you know, they use the tree as a symbol in meditation. They often have, you have meditations where, and you're nodding, you know, so. I uh, am. <laughs> yeah, where you, you ground yourself like the tree. So no matter what, you know, you can weather the storms, the branches and the, the leaves can all come crashing down. Um, but the, you know, the roots are still there. So I think that it all kind of connects somehow. And sort of going back to that film, Tropism, that I made, it really was, um, that was before I was doing the wrapping. So here I am ping-ponging back and forth on this timeline that uh, I had meditated at this point, but I was still making films. And this was about, from a young from a young woman's perspective, it was a, a narrated film on how she might be able to overcome her her shadows or her demons and somehow emerge from that and transform them or and she looked to nature and thought well i'm am i not you know we see nature as something separate i think she said it, the narration was we think of nature as a separate thing as if we're not a part of it somehow the word in and of itself is a label that separates us but i guess you know in in some eastern philosophies or even if we think about it practically like we we're all part of the the universe where are we separate from nature? When, I don't know, are we? So if nature can work it out and, and, and have balance, then maybe we can. And maybe if a plant or a tree moves towards the dark, uh, sorry, not towards the dark, sorry, moves from the dark towards the light, <laughs> no, that would be a very sad tree, um, and grow towards the light and have that um, impulse, then maybe we do as well. So I think that was what I was exploring there in that film that then um, linked to the later work, which was the, the branch sculptures. So another point that, that I just wanted to add, going back in that timeline again, back to the early days, and I'm thinking before being a teenager, so what is it? Um, I don't know. I don't know how old, six, seven, eight. Gathering and collecting of things, objects, was something that I was very much um, into and, you know, it began with things like stickers, just common things, stickers, marbles, stamps, uh, coins. And then it just became a bit more obscure. Like I'd have, you know, notebooks filled with a theme. It could be a colour, could be anything. Uh, then I got into like bus ticket stubs, which at the time, I think it was the 80s, we were, you know. Why on earth I was, you know, I don't think it was the tickets itself but it was the collecting of the tickets and having many of them. And then I remember having a book of all the names of songs that I could ever think of, any name of a song. And I just, it was the act of thinking of, can I get another one and think of another one and gathering. And you'd think by the sound of this, 
that maybe I'd become a hoarder, but I'm actually the opposite of a hoarder. Um, but there's something in, and whether it's an obsessive compulsive element, I think it might be. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, but yeah, that that is linked to gathering and collecting, and you know. But I really see that that came out in in my gathering of the branches. It really felt like that's sort of what I was doing, especially in the beginning when I didn't know what where they were gonna go. And um, the difference was, I guess, is that uh, the branches were, and, and working with natural material was a way for me to uh, let go of what I, well, that inner critic that I was talking about earlier on. Because I was working, uh, you know, with, as I was talking about referencing these butterflies, my blueprints or mock-ups or sketches that I would actually do on the computer um, were pretty precise. They're very precise with, with how I wanted the design to look. And I guess the part where I was having to let go or deliberately doing so was then to trans transfer these designs onto these uh, irregular shapes of these branches so that there was an element of surprise for me of how it would how it would look and I think on an, in another conversation Mark we talked about why didn't I just go and buy some dowels from Bunnings <laughs> why did I bother collecting branches and I could just have these straight dowels and I'd have my nice design and everything would be perfect and straight and um, well, yeah but that's I did a good question I know and maybe I could have done that but clearly that wasn't what I was you know I really was intentionally trying to go with things don't have to be perfect and what is that? What does that even mean? And and introducing this natural element that was um, celebrated for its, I guess, irregularities of curves and shapes was something that I needed for my own process and practice to help myself let go. And then people were drawn to the work. They were like drawn. Maybe they could sense the push and pull between these, those two, the tightly wound designed um you know, yarn and thread versus these um, more like free flowing curves. I don't know. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So you've continued on with your. Uh, you know, relation relationship with nature, being inspired by nature, mm -hmm. but then you've kind of explored other other um, materials like fabric. Can you tell yes. us a bit more about that? Yeah, um, I think I felt that with the branches, I really just needed to expand, and I had a lot of ideas that I didn't know how to create, you know, they were in my mind and I could see them, but I didn't know how to create them. And they involved using fabrics or textiles. And, you know, I guess it makes sense working now with my hands, working with yarn that I might want to explore textiles as well. So I bought myself a sewing machine, actually my husband, I won't lie. He bought it for my birthday, best birthday present. And I just uh, decided I was going to teach myself how to sew. I also, you know, watched YouTube clips in two times speed 
just to try to get a whole bunch of information on how to sew and uh, did some hand sewing, but found that the machine sewing really appealed to me. There was also something meditative about that and being with your hands on the, on the sewing machine. Um, so I, you know, methodically, you know, kept repeating the same, the same process. I knew what the look was that I wanted, but I just wasn't there technically yet. So I kept just, you know, sewing squares, sewing triangles, sewing circles, working with different fabrics to try to get the hang of um, their properties and how, how they worked. And, you know, in, in my mind, it may have come out one way and then you're working with a real physical material and it doesn't behave the way you think it's going to. So there was a lot of um, practice and trial and error. And I did that a lot of in lockdown quite a bit last year um, with, the hope, with the aim of creating some new work. And I ended up creating some new work um, based on these images of leaves that I had taken a number of years earlier, right, maybe seven or eight years earlier. And so at that time, I was working with the branches, but these um, fallen eucalyptus leaves on the floor uh, that created sort of interesting patterns were took grabbed my attention. And it was actually this one particular day, I think I was feeling a little bit down. I don't know, I was going through a bit of a difficult patch and it had just been raining and the leaves were wet and shiny and they were like pressed against the white concrete and I remember thinking wow the shapes and the colors and they had a very graphic quality to to me and beyond that I think the curves and the way they sort of like curled and bended towards one another they seemed almost sort of intimate with each other I don't know if I was projecting this onto them at the time but there was like an intimacy that I felt almost like they had this little world and I think I remember calling it the secret lives of leaves or something and they also um, had like the they also in and of themselves reminded me of ancient script some kind of glyph like quality uh, glyphs are um, I think I tell us what glyphs are they're like characters or, or that, I mean, they could be symbols. They, they could be like hieroglyphics that represent, they may represent something or not. I mean, uh, yeah. So I thought these little um, messengers from nature, you know, I sort of liked that idea. Little, is there a little language here? I think I remember one of my works ended up being called Tree Code because I thought maybe that this is a little language, is a little message, maybe in an arrangement of a few of them. It's like a, there's something there that's that's being communicated. So I was, uh, you know, I took those photos a number of years ago and I thought when I was learning how to sew, what can I work on that's beyond squares and, you know, circles and triangles? So I decided to pull these out and had a go at recreating some of these um, compositions of leaves uh, and reinterpreting them with textiles. And so... Yeah, that's what I ended up doing. Some of them were um, one work, I think it's on my Instagram actually, not on my website yet, um, is called Composition Leaves. And it is just a recreation in fabric of a um, pattern of fallen leaves, which I haven't touched. I didn't, I, all I did was try to recreate it. And I really liked, again, having no agency or removing that, not no agency, but having an element of agency removed. And again, leaving it to nature. You mean your um, agency? My agency as an artist, sometimes not having control over everything is a good thing. Or having something decided, yeah. So um, 
I guess it's similar to the branches where they're shapes, although I'm selecting the branches. And in this case, I'm isolating a composition of leaves that attracts me. There were many on the ground. Um, but yeah, you've decided that, the frame. You've, you've framed yeah. it as the viewer type thing, but you've kind of yes. haven't, you haven't, you, it's like a little snapshot or something mm-hmm. of, of what, whatever yeah, the leaves are. Yeah, and it felt like, well, that, those leaves are gone now, but it's kind of cool that I immortalized them or something, captured them. And um, it, I remember calling it nature's ready maids. So a ready made, I don't know if you may or may not have heard of the term in. I've heard of it. But I I'm struggling to think <laughs> of what it, what it is. So found, it's like a found object. So Marcel Duchamp, who was an artist, you may have seen his work. It's like a wheel of a bicycle oh, yeah. on a I plinth or something. Yeah. And then he also took a urinal and turned it on its head and he called it the fountain, and which was, you know, extremely audacious at the time when what was considered art was, you know, painting and like, you know, um, classical sculpture and to suddenly bring an object like a urinal, which is, you know, could, could be a more lower, lower common object to then bring it out of context into the gallery and say that's art, which we see now a lot in contemporary art. But this idea of the ready-made where here we go, we've got a ready-made artwork. We take it from one t- context to another. So and the artist shifting, shifting their- its context is the... Is the yeah. art in a way? Yes. So I guess I thought of this um, composition as nature's ready-made. Well, nature's done this and I'm just taking it and, you know. So, so there was that and um, there was also, they've got a couple of other, like I mentioned, tree code and there's another one called leaves at night, which is um, a many individual leaves uh, that are sort of uh, connected with thread on a canvas and, and sort of stretch like a painting. Sort of call these works textile paintings because they sort of almost read like paintings from a distance, but they're, they're out of textiles. And um, these like individual, those works sort of focus on the individual shapes of the leaves. The uh, Like I told you, the sort of um, alphabetic glyph-like quality, somehow trying to make sense, creating some kind of map that you could read um, where these leaves are sort of interconnected somehow. Uh, so that they were more recent works that I, that I explored and um, a sort of, I guess, following on from, from the branch work. So I like the fact that there's a lot, there's it seems to be quite of a, con- a considered process involved in terms of you trying out the materials and engaging with the, properties even of the materials but then there's also a bit of a high concept happening Mm. there's sort of like a bit Mm. elusive almost you can't quite pin it down but then that's the nature of what your process is in a Mm. way is this like typical of most or all creative (laughs) practitioners or I don't know you can't (laughs) speak for everyone I don't know if I can speak for everyone I think that um yeah I don't know if I can answer for everyone but certainly working out the materials seems to be a common, you know, uh, challenge or, or, you know, activity that artists will engage with because especially if you're working with new medium or materials, you need to know how they work. Otherwise, they just won't do, it won't do what you think it might do. If you've got an image in your brain or on paper, you need to know, you know, is, is this material going to bend or not if you want it to stay straight or how does the, is the thread going to break the, 
you know, the leather or is it, am I going to need a thicker, you know, they're, so, they're kind of very mundane, almost um, very practical and mundane challenges that, um, yeah, I have to overcome. And I just write, I've become probably a little over the years more aware of that process. And it probably is the same for all artists, I guess. There's a, you know, it becomes um, the practical side of it becomes, I have like a little p- pad of paper and I'll break down what I need to test into like a micro, little micro tests. So it might be, um, I might have an idea or I might've seen a technique or something for a, a very small detail in a work. And it might just be um, test, you know, how to work with faux fur and this stitch or something like that. So if I know I want to work with that material, but I don't know how it's going to take to the sewing machine. or So there's a whole bunch of very like small tests that I'll do early-ish, early on in the process um, before I really, you know, by the time I execute the final work, I've already got, um, as I talked to you about before, uh, you know, mock-ups or sketches that I create on the computer that become quite highly detailed. And, and so they're, they're already set in stone and then I've got to do the, yeah, the physical material test. So I don't know if the process, the process or the um, steps, that's probably not, and the order of the steps it definitely wouldn't be necessarily the same for all artists, but I would expect that, yeah, working with the materials is a really important one because you can have all your conceptual ideas, but if you don't know how to work with the material, it's just not going to, you know, be communicated. It's not going to come through the way you want it to. And then um, when and you finish go- is important. When you look at the, um, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, I do remember you mentioned that recently about the finish. The finish is important. Yes. The kind of. Yeah, that's important to me. And I, and that might, I don't know, is that a bit of my, my perfectionistic tendencies coming through? I don't know. But I do have an appreciation, I think, for finely made or f- beautifully crafted work. Even though I also really enjoy work that is messy and um, has a quite punk aesthetic, but somehow for me, yeah, just having having the finish really nice and well executed is important. So therefore, I need to do more practice and more tests to get the finish I'm looking for. Yeah, so you that's know, what I, I was mean, interested in. That kind of yeah. What are you, what, how do you know what you're looking for? Like you hold it up and think, oh, that's not it. Back to the drawing board. Or, you know, how do you... Yeah, I guess, uh, and uh, yeah, maybe a base, one thing might be I, you know, when I'm stitch, when I stitch down all of the elements and then I realise that there is, there are sort of bubbles or buckling in the fabric, like it's not taut. Now, this doesn't seem to be a problem for everyone. I mean, I've seen, I've been to a number of shows where I've seen artworks that are textile pieces that have buckling. Is it an issue? I don't know. I mean, it's all subjective, but for me, that just doesn't, it's for the kind of work I want to make, it's not good enough. So then I need to figure out why that's happening. Um, and hopefully I could have achieved that through the tests earlier on, but it's not always possible. So then I have to start taking things apart and, you know, getting upset and then getting over it and getting on with it. And, and so that's all part of the process too. So that's just one example of, you know, it could be the way a stitch looks. That, I, that it just doesn't look clean, it's messy looking and crooked, so I'd want to do it again and keep practising until I get that right. So it may just be like practising scales on an instrument until you get really fluent at it, yeah. So what, I guess what's the, what's the 
what's the point? What's the purpose of art? It's <laughs> <laughs> a big question. But like, it is. Wh- why... Sounds like you've um, mm-hmm. partnered up with my inner critic and uh, come oh. out because, you know, that's one of the inner critics' <laughs> questions. What's the point of all this? Who do you think you are for, you know, putting yourself out there and who cares about your work? <laughs> you know, it's all the same stuff. <laughs> so, but it's great a, questions. It's a valid question, isn't it? Um definitely something I've been thinking about lately because I've recently had a baby and there's less time to make work and um, I often have heard from other artists that are parents talk about it can really because um, you've got less time it can really make you reevaluate why what you're making or and make you know help you sort of make the work you really want to make and not waste time so I have been thinking about what I want to be working on and I've started developing some new things some new ideas trying to bring a, a whole bunch of all, all these elements that I've been working with, maybe even bringing video back in as well together. And I spent, I guess, the past, num- I don't know, several years exploring nature, exploring those sorts of things. But I think underlying everything is my um, wanting to create work about the possibility for transformation. And, you know, the branches are trans, I transform the branches from something that seemed, you know, no more, no longer useful um, to to an object that hopefully was, you know, beautiful and interesting and they look different. I actually phys- visually transform them. Um, and I guess I want to, you know, I'm looking forward to kind of making work that brings in a little bit more of that concept of how we can, you know, connect with nature, each other, how, how we can, um, you know, find comfort and feel safe. And, and all those sorts of bigger bigger ideas and somehow channel that through the work. Um, I, mean, I think I started doing that with the branches and, and with the uh, textile pieces, but maybe make it a little bit more direct and even a bit more playful, I think. Um, I'm feeling like a playful side of myself, which I think, you know, is part of it. I have a sense of humour just coming out maybe through the work a little bit more by loosening up and... Um, yeah, that, that's sort of the areas. And I guess, um, you know, looking into, uh, what was I going to say, uh, textures and um, the power of uh, touch. And I think that comes back to being grounded in the body and movement and all these things that can help us sort of uh, move away from the overthinking mind that can make people feel scared or fearful and especially I guess in the past year or so you know it's more relevant than ever how we can maybe not transform but even just sit with um, difficult feelings experiences pain all those things and um, in a way that's more healthy and comfortable for us than destructive so if I think about my work before the meditative but meditation came in. I, in my early days, especially when I was at uni, I was definitely focusing more on the sh- darkness or the the pain and the difficulties. But now I and and then having that change after meditating and having a different sort of lens on myself and the world, and I guess probably want to direct make it a bit more obvious in the work now. Maybe less uh, just experiential or or visual. Maybe make it a little bit not didactic, but just have the message come through the work a little bit more is where I want to go with it, if that makes sense. 
In this episode, I chatted with Leron Gilmore, a multidisciplinary artist. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes, including links to Leron's website and social media. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville.